It can be one of the most dreaded sensations you can ever feel, uh, wondering where you stand with someone, wondering whether or not you fit in, whether or not you have a place, whether or not uh, you measure up. Maybe it's after that job interview, uh, maybe it's after that audition, um, that tryout, uh, that, that first date, not knowing quite how it went, or maybe that first day in a new school. You really don't know how you're being, how you've been assessed, and what people are are, are thinking. Um, what do they think of me? Um, are they going to take me? Are they going to accept me? Am I am I good enough? Despite whatever else you may have heard about Christianity, that is not the way the Christian faith works. God, in in no way, is asking us to measure up, or to achieve some bar of performance. That is not good news in any way at all. In fact, here's the good news. He takes us just as we are and then works with us from there. That's good news. If you have your Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to Mark chapter 16. No, that's not a misprint. It's the same text we were in just last week. Uh, Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. Uh, that's the second of the Gospels that we have. Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and John. We're in Mark. It's the last chapter of Mark's Gospel. Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. I want us to think about this for a little bit. Um, how does God work, and who does he work with and through? Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray together. Lord, as the prophet says, and we need to hear again and again and again, and be reminded of in so many different ways, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. That's not just poetry. That isn't just those aren't just words that have a nice meter and sound. Those are inspired words uh, by the Holy Spirit Himself. And we ask you to help us hear that, even as we are hearing your word this morning. Um, and indeed we ask that you would help us to hear. And that you would speak, speak to our hearts, uh, speak deeply, shape us, we ask. Every one of us here, in your name we pray, amen. 
In his uh, book from just a few years ago, Three Free Sins, Steve Brown uh, tells this story. He says, one of my friends asked a retired old preacher about heaven. The preacher told my friend that the best thing about heaven would be watching Jesus pick up the church and shake it in Satan's face. This is all I had, Jesus will say. This bunch of weak, sinful, crazy Christians, and I still kicked your butt. Now, don't let that offend you. Those of you who didn't laugh, those of you who nervously laughed, might have been offended. Don't, don't let it get your shorts all bunched up there. Now I've offended you again. It's just a funny way, really, of, of retelling that old wonderful Irish proverb that God delights to strike straight blows with crooked sticks. It's just another way of saying that. Either way, either way you take it, it's true. Uh, last week we were in the same text, uh, of course it was Easter Sunday, and we were looking at, asking the question here regarding the canonical Gospels, in particular this text, what is it that we have to work from regarding the uh, veracity and historicity of the, the resurrection accounts? That's what we were looking at, that was the question we were asking Last week, I want to take that question and turn it just a little bit. Not so much asking here this morning, what do we have to work with? But now asking the coming at it from another angle, what does God have to work from or, or with? Put another way, how, how does he intend for this message to be spread? Who does he intend to work in and through and with? Uh, you, you, of course, know, I'm sure, uh, that this is the time of year where the superhero films are, are coming out into the, the cinema plexes. And, uh, you know, you've got Batman versus Superman right now, and then in just a few more weeks you're going to have uh, Captain America Civil War. And, and in those films you've got a whole host of, uh, of these heroes coming forth and, and all of these fantastic weapons and, and mighty strength. and um, Blazing speed and amazing agility and, and skill sets. And that's how these types of heroes show forth their power. Okay, here's the question. It's turning that. How does the true and living God, not a figment of our imagination, not a, a, a fictional work of Hollywood, but how does the true and living God show forth His power? How does he manifest who he is before the watching world? Not through our strength, but through our weakness. Not through our ability, but through our inability. Not through our strength, but through our weakness. And to the degree that we get that, we will find deep, Grounding and soaring encouragement somehow at the same time. Look at two things here together this morning. Just very simple, very simple points. Very simple things to explore, but I would argue profound nonetheless. First, who he has to work with. And then reflecting on just a little bit the reasons why he would deem deign to work with such as us. So, First, who does he work with? We have 
no need to go really any further than our text even this morning, just this short passage here in Mark chapter 16. Uh, who do we see in the first witnesses of the resurrection? The fearful. The fearful. These dear women as they fled, trembling, terrified from the tomb. That's what we see. But not just the fearful, but then also the faithless. We talked about this last week. And, and the allusion here to, to Peter and his terrible, terrible failure there on the night before Jesus was uh, crucified. But it's not just in this text. If you take a step back and you think about it, in the backdrop you have Mark, the author himself. As you read through the course of, of the book of Acts, we come to learn that in the first missionary journey, Mark left Paul and Barnabas. Paul says, in fact, that Mark deserted them. That's your author here. Then if you take a really big step back and you just look at the whole of all of our heroes in the Old and New Testament, let's just take a few. Abraham. Moses. David. Not a one of them comes out unscathed. Warts and all, they're right here before us. In all their gory imperfections. Do you see what the answer is coming, where we're heading here? In the answer to the question, who does God have to work with? People like that. People like that. People like us. Which takes us to a deeper principle. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, that's after the Gospels and after Acts and Romans. You have First uh, and Second Corinthians. If you'll turn with me to First Corinthians, uh, chapter one, just verse for now, just verse twenty-six. This principle is well worth noting. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. What is Paul saying here? He, we have a, a complete reversal of standards. Just, just upending them. We have a, an, an utter leveling of, of, of all standing. All the ways that we think, anyway. Um, in God's eyes, there is absolutely, positively, no eternal significance whatsoever to our brains, our brawn, or our bank statements. It doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. It, it really, really is. And, and because of that, when it comes to who he is determined to work through and who he demonstrates again and again and again that he works through, um, we then see this reversal of the standards and this leveling of, of standing. You got it. We need to understand, and, and I, I don't think we, we do, um, it just cuts against the grain of, of our thinking. The church is not a dream team. It's, it's not made up of, of the, um, the bold and the beautiful. It's not an ensemble of all Americans. The church, by design, in fact, really looks a whole lot more like the Dirty Dozen. Remember that old, old film from the 60s of these criminals? who have been drafted into, forced really into this mission, this impossible mission to, to, to then take on, that's really more like 
us or, or the bad news bears or the A-team, these rejects, these outcasts, or, or maybe a little bit more contemporary as far as film is concerned, the, 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 the motley bunch of the fellowship of the ring that then are to, to take the, the ring on into the fires of Mount Doom. I mean, that's the church. That's really much more what God has in, in mind. And, and you see that here with, with Mark in Mark 16 and going, going back to there in this, the abrupt ending. We, we talked about this last week, how really Mark ends in verse 8 and, uh, of chapter 16. And, and we were talking about how you know, when, when the, because it ends the way that it does, it, it forces this question upon the reader. You know, what will I make of this? What will I do with this? How will I respond? Remember that from, from last week? But there's a second question. That really marks first readers, and we are today she would do well to think about when we understand who it is that God is working with. In, in just looking at that one text, is not just where do we go with this, but what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? It means we need to see ourselves in them. We are they, and they are us. I don't know what kind of grammar that was I just used, but you get the idea. We are, you and I, my friends, we are the fearful and the faithless. We are the crooked sticks. Every one of us here in this room I just don't know if we know how fearful, faithless, and crooked we are. But that's who he is determined to work through. That's who he has to work through. Not angels. Us. Us. People like us. And he delights to show his power through our weakness. And again, when we get that, that grounds us. It humbles us. It grounds us in in reality, but I'll, now here's the second point following up with that. Not just that, but it also gives us cause for soaring encouragement. So now not just thinking about who he does work with, but reflecting just the facts, but reflecting on something of that. I do want to go back now to 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, so if you turned away from it, I'm sorry, but just head back there now. 1 Corinthians 1, and picking up where we, we uh, well, just reading actually verse 26 again, reading a little further. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human beings might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, right, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now, what, what does God have in mind with, with why he works with who he works with? Well, two things. One, Paul's laying out here. One is to lay us lower. To lay us lower. I don't know if you notice the, the in, clear intentionality here. That's being spoken of how God does what He does. And three times in verses 27 and 28, three times we see He chose, He chose, He chose. There's a clear intentionality and purposefulness 
that shows the preferential treatment to the outcast, to the nobody, to those of no standing and, and, and don't measure up to the world's standards. That's the way he delights to work. Why? Well, it would seem, well, let's just look at verse 29, because it's so plain, so that, in case we didn't get it, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is intent on kicking out all the props, on, on disabusing us of all of our presumptuous boasting and, and pride. We have our confidence in what I'll just call bubbles. And he is intent, intending to pop every one of them and to boast in only one thing, him and what he has done for us. So the, the first thing would be in terms of why he works with who he works with would, would be to lay us lower. But of course, the, the flip side of that, the other side of that is to that he would be lifted higher, that our foolish boasting would be stopped and our hearts would be rightly turned to worship and praise the one that they, we need to. So again, verse 30, and because of him, so you know, who's behind all this? Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We are one with, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are one with him, in union with him. He therein is our, as Paul says, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, our salvation, past, present, and future is secured and accomplished only and exclusively through Jesus. So His is the work. His is all the work, and so His then ought to be all the glory, all the credit, all the boasting. Let me just read this again. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Look, if, 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 our, right, if our righteousness and sanctification and redemption, if our salvation, past, present, and future, was because of us, then fine. Let's boast of us. But it's not. So we can't. We, we, we can't. Our thoughts are to be of Him. Our delight is to be in Him. Why then? Why then does He work in the way that He does and through whom He does? I mean, you know, even as the children's catechism tells us, why does God do all things for His own glory? For His own glory. Uh, in us, through us, by us, showing forth in ways that His power, His mercy, His grace. Now, ask the question, what impact would this all this have, you know, Mark 16 upon Mark's readers? What would 1 Corinthians 1 the impact of that be on Paul's readers and, and us today. It, it just pulls the rug out from me underneath all the, the, the propping up that we do. Uh, or what I'm going to call our, our testimonies of triumph. And what I mean by that are, are the way that so often, it's usually I guess I'll say well-meaning, 
we, we parade forth before one another uh, celebrities or pop stars or, or sports figures who have seen the light and come to Christ and we, 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 we put them forward as though now, now with them we have proof that, that Jesus is real. Now with them, you can see. And then we give them a platform on which to stand, which then does what? Of course, it just sets those poor individuals up for failure. And frankly, I would say it sets us up for the same as well, because the fact of the matter is it's the same mercy for every one of us. It's the same blood needed for every one of us. It's the same Spirit's work in the heart and life of every one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. You are if you are His, you are a testimony to His grace. You're a te- you are a triumph of His grace. If you want a testimony of triumph, if you're His, look in the mirror. That person is a triumph and a testimony of the grace of God. And that ought to encourage us and embolden us, perhaps even a bit as well. So again, getting back to the answer to this question, what does God have to work with? Finite creatures and fallen sinners like you and me. That's who He has to work with. He delights to show His power through weakness. Now I want you to think with me just ending on this. What difference should that make in our lives? Let me, let me just, in particular, press on this. In, in regards to our aspirations and goals, what we want for ourselves, what we're striving for in, in our lives, please hear me. This is not a matter. The Christian life is not a matter of the weak becoming stronger. That's really not what it is. Again, back to our superheroes. You know, I'm just going to pick two now because I know the, the origin stories for some of them are different, but I'm leaning in this direction. Captain America and Batman, all right? Th- these two guys. The origin stories for guys like that and, and so many others is, is some secret experiment or some cataclysmic event in their life and then arduous training. And because of that event or the experiment and the training, therein now they can take on the villain and save the world. You see, in those cases, something has to happen for them to be fit to do something. That's not what we're seeing here. What we're really seeing here is is not usefulness coming after transformation. That's not the Gospel. God is not so limited. Do you realize how that limits God? He can only do but so much. He can only work with you once you're cleaned up. Once you're fixed, once you've arrived, once you've hit the bar. That's not what we're seeing here. Usefulness does not depend on transformation. Usefulness depends on God. On the God who transforms. It's not the weak becoming strong, but His strength shining in our Weakness. So as you think with me what your roles are in life and over the course of the many hats you wear in the day, maybe as a mother or a father or a child or a brother or a sister or an employer or an employee or a superior or an underling 
or, or whatever the case may be, or a friend, or a neighbor, or a confidant, just a member of this community, a member of this church, and then you think through your callings to love, and to serve, and to forgive, and to confess, and to repent, in all of that, know this, you are weak. But that's okay. Because He is strong. And your effectiveness, your fruitfulness, does not depend on your strength or getting better. He's not so limited. He is not so hemmed in. My friends, you and I, we really are, I said this earlier, we really are the fearful. It's okay to acknowledge that. We really are the faithless. It's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to admit that. Let's go. Let's let's start a new club. Can we just do this? Can we do this? Start fearful and faithless anonymous. Hi, I'm Richard. I'm fearful. We ought to, because we are. We are the crooked sticks. And God strikes straight blows through crooked, crooked sticks like you and me. We get that. That will ground us and humble us. It will encourage us and embolden us because His is the work and His is the glory. Let's pray. Lord, it is good to know it is, it, is, it is good to know that we are more like the folks from the Old and New Testaments. Not being perfect. Not being so mighty in power and progress as we're oftentimes told. But rather, we really are finite, limited, really are fallen and sinful, really are flawed and broken. It's, it's good to know, and it's just good to be able to talk about that and be able to own that. Because if, if our usefulness could only come after transformation, then we'd all be on the bench and stuck on a shelf. But you delight to work in and through and with us. With us. With us. And all of our mess. And as you do, we learn, we grow, people see things and are drawn all the more to you because of the wonder of what they're seeing. And amazing things, miraculous things begin to happen. And all to your honor and all to your praise. So, we're thankful. We're thankful for Mark 16. And we're thankful for 1 Corinthians 1. And we're thankful for your mercy and grace and love to the faithless, the fearful, and the crooked sticks. In your name we pray. Amen. If I could ask my fellow elders to join me
down front here. We are now going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm emphasizing it in that way for a purpose. The Lord's Supper. A survey was done some years ago. Question was asked, what words would you most like to hear? What words would you most like to hear? The first, not surprising, was, I love you. The second, not too surprising, was, I forgive you. Do you know what the third was? Supper's ready. It's true. It's true. You think, well, maybe let's ask a question why for a minute. What does that convey? Rest and provision and relationship and time and care and strengthening. My friends, supper's ready. You see? And, and the host, the founder of the feast, invites you this morning with arms open wide, hands, wrists really, with nail scars in them. And He's saying to you, if you're His, supper's ready. Come and eat. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23-29. through 29, I'll read these words to you. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed... You get that? Sometimes I think we just fly through that, with the context. On the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Well, I'll just say a few things here. Obviously, obviously, if you're not a Christian, you know, if, if the things that we read earlier from the Nicene Creed, that's not really where you are this morning. You're still exploring. You're still searching. If that's, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then this is not for you. Yet. Yet. And I put it that way because I would encourage you to ask yourself the question, what's standing in the way? What are the issues that you have with the gospel that are preventing you this morning from actually being able to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. His finished work is my whole hope. Question your questions. Doubt your doubts. Work those things through. Find someone to talk to about that stuff and process those things. So, that's the first thing. The second thing would be, if you are a Christian, but in this stage, at this period of your life, this day, this week, whatever, you know yourself to be living in willful defiance of Him, then I would say this. It's a little tricky. This is for you, 
but not today. This is for you, but not today. You need to confess that sin before Him and those that you've hurt. Repent of that, and next time we do this, it is for you that day. He loves you so much, He's prompting you this morning. Deal with it. Deal with it. Don't pretend otherwise. It's serious. If you're a follower of His, if your head and your heart, when what we were reciting earlier from the Creed, yes, that's where I am. If the promises are your hope, if that's what you're holding to, you're, you're, you're not just your lips, but your heart is singing in these songs that we have been singing together this morning, then I would say, hear Him. Hear Him when He says, Take and eat. This is the supper. Supper's ready. Take and eat. Take and drink. Be reminded of what I've done for you. Be refreshed in, your, in your, the depths of your being and what I've done for you. Take and eat. Take and drink. Um, we're going to be first distributing the, the uh, bread when you receive that and when you're ready, go ahead and take it. Go ahead and eat. When you receive the cup, we'd ask you to hold that. We're going to do that, all of us together, as, as one. Uh, there, as you can see in the bulletin, there are some passages of Scripture. I encourage you to meditate on those uh, while the, the music is being played, or if you just want to listen carefully to what's being played there, um, or just maybe mull over some of the clauses of the creed. Uh, but let's... Uh, Let's pray together before we do this. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, thank you. Thank you for loving us so that you not only speak the gospel, but you show it. You give us not just something for our, our ears, but something for our eyes and, and our hands and even our noses and our tongues, um, reminding us that as surely as we are ingesting the bread and the juice. Um, we are embracing, ingesting, uh, taking in what you have done for us and living off of it as all we are and all we have. Amen.